So as Aaron Yehuda mentioned, we are going to be talking about power grabbing and authoritarianism and arrogance versus the gravitational power of divinity and a world of order and sensibility. Yosef is a fascinating character in the Torah, not only because he has more storyline devoted to him than seemingly any other character in the Chumash, but the way that the Torah describes him is absolutely unique. We find nothing else like it in terms of the other great men of the Torah. And it really begs the question, what is the secret power of Yosef HaTzadik? What is this unbelievable ability that Yosef HaTzadik has to become the center of everyone's world? He is the center of the Yaakov Avinu world, right? When the Torah tells us at the beginning of our parsha, the Yisrael Ahavis Yosef Michal Banav, that Yisrael Yaakov Avinu loves Yosef more than the rest of his sons, and he makes him the coat of many colors. Clearly, he is a major focus of Yaakov Avinu. These are the offspring of Yaakov Yosef. And the rabbis tell us he taught him all of his Torah learning. He was completely, completely focused on Yosef Atzadi. In addition to that, of course, is Yosef's own dream where he says, hey, everybody's bound down to me, the sun, the moon, the stars, that's what his dream says. So again, he is the center of the world. He goes down to Egypt as a slave, and suddenly he is the central figure in the house of Potiphar. According to the rabbis, not only does the wife of Potiphar desire him, the husband himself, Potiphar himself, desires Yosef. And he puts him in charge of everything, and he doesn't hold anything back from him. So Yosef is now the center of Potiphar's home. Well, that ends in an ugly scandal of which we know that his wife is fully responsible and he ends up in jail and he becomes the center attraction in the jail. The warden puts him in charge, knowing that everything that Yosef does will succeed and he doesn't even have to pay attention to what happens in jail. Yosef is gonna take care of everything. And last but certainly not at all least, is he becomes the central figure of Egypt, which is the world economy and power of the time. Paro hears his interpretation. He says, hey, nobody could possibly be more fitting, more wise than Yosef. He's in charge, period, end of story. He is in charge. Like I mentioned, nobody in the Torah is described in this fashion. It's, it's something unbelievable. It's mesmerizing. It is, you know, a story of all stories. What is the secret power of Yosef Hatzadik? From whence does it come that people who meet Yosef say, he's my man, I want him, he's in charge, and he is the center of the universe? How does that happen? Why does that happen? So in order to understand this well, we're going to go a little bit into the actual epilogue, meaning the story that follows the scandal with Yosef and Potiphar's wife. And the Torah opens with telling us that it was after these things, this is chapter 40, sentence one, 
it was after these things, which means after the story, the things, the words that happened with Potiphar's wife and Yosef and the net effect that Potif Potiphar throws Yosef into jail was after that, the butler and the baker of Egypt, they sinned to their master, the king of Egypt. Now the Torah then goes on to describe the fact that Yosef was put in charge of them also, and he was servicing them, and that they had a dream, and they were bothered, and that Yosef correctly interprets their dream. And it ends with Yosef predicting that in three days time, on the birthday of Paro, the butler will be returned to his post and the baker will be hung. And that is what happens. And then the butler conveniently forgets Yosef. And despite the fact that Yosef asked for the butler to mention his plight to the king of Egypt, that doesn't happen. And in next week's parasha is when we find out that Paro has a dream and Yosef is introduced into that part of the Egyptian story and stage. Okay, that is the end story of the Torah. But what does it mean that this happened after that? So Rashi says, that because the wife of Potiphar caused the people of the time to degrade and denigrate Yosef the righteous, everybody was talking about him because there was this great scandal that Yosef did with his master's wife. And at least according to one interpretation in Ramban, she even says to her husband that, hey, you know what Yosef did to me? You know, he did like this and like that. And there was basically things of an inappropriate uh, sexual nature between him and his master's wife. And it was pretty explicit. That's what he did. And there was this scandal. So everybody was talking about Yosef. Yosef, Yosef, you know, this is terrible. So what Hashem did was bring about the, the betrayal or the, the language in the Hebrew is the sorchan, which means the stink. God brought about the stink of the butler and the baker and what they did in terms of not serving Paro correctly. The baker let a stone get into Paro's pastry dough or to his bread, like he was really for bread, really a baker and of bread, and the butler allowed a fly to be in Pyro's cup of wine. And so everybody started talking about that scandal instead of the Yosef scandal. Additionally, says Rashi, what does it mean it was after these things? So, right, that's the first thing. After these things, when there was a terrible, you know, blitz in the media, and everybody was talking about Yosef, Hashem wanted a distraction, and it became the scandalous stories of the butler and the baker. So it was after that, that this happened to remove the conversation away from Yosef towards the butler and the baker. The second point Rashi says that after all this happened, Hashem wanted to bring about the, the saving of Yosef, the harvacha. And that's what happened, that through the dreams of the butler and the baker, eventually, even though it was a couple years later, the butler mentions the fact that there's this talented dream interpreter in jail, Paro, and that's how the story unfolds, that, pa that Yosef, becomes selected by Pyro to help him with his dream and eventually appointed as Viceroy of Egypt. Okay, so my questions are as follows uh, in the way that the rabbis are seemingly understanding the juxtaposition, the cause and effect 
that we have the scandal of Yosef and immediately comes the scandal of the butler and the baker in order to change the conversation and also in order to bring about some sort of a respite, a break from jail for Yosef when he eventually gets let out and then even becomes king. So my questions are very simple. Number one, I mean, I don't mean to be crude or, you know, like a little bit too um, already exposed to the world, but this is really a big scandal between, a, you know, like this never happens, you know, between a, a slave or a, a, a mistress. And, and, and I mean, how many, you know, how many times is that happening uh, as we're having this year? You know what I'm saying? That's really a big deal. Everybody's taught. They can't stop talking about what happened between a mistress and, and her slave. That's something that really, you know, grabs the attention of people. I find that interesting. Number two. Isn't that commonplace in Egypt? The rabbis tell us that Egypt was an extremely decadent society. Canaan was an extremely decadent society. Egypt is an extremely decadent society. In fact, when the Torah that we read on Yom Kippur afternoon, we read about all the prohibited relationships in families, et cetera, in the Torah, uh, including uh, adultery, uh, the Torah opens, don't do what the Egyptians and the Canaanites do. That's literally the introduction in the Torah. Literally. Uh, 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 Reb you're making a very good point. It's possible, okay? And, and the Ramban goes a little bit on that uh, along those lines as well. And, and that's a good point that you're saying, comparing it to quote unquote, today's royal family. Um, we might mention a little bit of that. That's not the direction I'm gonna go, but, but that's definitely a good point. So that's the first thing. Is this so scandalous that everybody's talking about? That's number one. Number two is the timeline is extremely interesting because we are generally taught that Yosef was 17 when he got sold down to Egypt. And when he becomes viceroy of Egypt, he's 30 years old. So subtract 17 from 30. And that means the entire period from Yosef being sold until he is viceroy of Egypt is 13 years. Now, in those 13 years, the simple reading of the sentences is that he spends 12 years in jail. That means the story happens with the seemingly uh, the, the Yosef being bought by Potiphar. And then, you know, we're not assuming that it takes years and years for an attraction to develop on the part of Potiphar's wife. It's probably not that long afterwards, even if you want to say it's weeks or months or half a year, maximum of a year that she's you know, very infatuated with Yosef and pursuing him. So that's the simple way to understand that then Yosef goes into jail after the scandal, one year or less after having been sold down to Egypt. Everybody with me? Okay, and again, he's, he's now he's 18 years old and he's only 30 years old when he's viceroy of Egypt. So what happens to those 12 years? So the simple explanation, many of the early sources say this, is that Yosef is meant to be in jail for 10 years. And then he's meant to be freed by virtue of the dreams of the butler and the baker. But what happens is that the butler forgets him and therefore Yosef is in jail another two years on top of the 10, which is the introductory phrase in next week's parsha. It was after two years, Pyro has his dreams. And then the story unfolds that Yosef becomes the king as Pyro appoints him. Great. So I have a simple question. If the scandal happens when Yosef is 18, and the dream of the butler and the baker happens when Yosef is 29. 
or so. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 27, because it was an additional two years on top of that. When he's 27, they were talking about the Yosef scandal for nine years. Nine years? Really? We don't even understand why it's such a scandal. So you mean to tell me that Hashem is bringing about the story of the butler and the baker because nine years after Yosef gets into jail, people are still, you know, talking about this Hebrew that's in jail because of his impropriety with his, you know, mistress. So that becomes a very interesting question. Now, Dr. Horowitz is asking the right question. Well, maybe the butler and the baker were in jail at the beginning of Yosef's sentence. But there are many problems with thinking that. Number one, why were they in jail for so long? Power couldn't decide for 10 years what to do with the servants. He had 10 birthdays, you know, between the time that they enter jail and the time that he thinks about them, uh, if you say that they're in jail at the beginning. Number two, Rashi says explicitly, so at least according to Rashi, it seems that they're only in jail for one year because the Torah says that the butler and the baker were for days in jail. And the Talmud tells us in many places that the term yamim refers to a year of days. It's a year. It's, it happens by Rivka. It happens other places in the Torah. It's a year. So it seems that it's one year. So at the very least, according to Rashi, and probably according to many more commentaries, the butler and the baker seem to be in jail for a year or less. And if you play out the timeline, that means that they have to have been there at the end of the first 10 years of Yosef's jail sentence. And then we're left scratching our heads with A, why are they still being scandalized by the story? Why is Yosef still being scandalized by the story that happened so long ago? B, why does God wait so long to take care of it? Uh, excellent point, uh, Rebuttal, we'll get to that. And C, you, you know, you don't want to save Yosef like uh, any earlier. You know, if you really want him to be in jail for like 10 years and then 12 years. It seems kind of fascinating to understand the timeline and how we're supposed to understand this aspect of the story. So in order to begin our explanation, I would like to posit a concept of how to understand the greatness of Yosef. And what's a little bit scary about it is how true it is in the sense that everybody's worst fears of Yosef are actually true. Everybody's great desires of Yosef are actually true. And it's a lot to deal with. And I think that's the beginning of understanding Yosef Atzadik. So we all know the temptation to be jumping on the bandwagon of successful people, right? Who has got, you know, like the hot hand in the casino? Who has got the hot hand when it comes to picking stocks in the stock market? We know, we know so, so, so much of um, yeah. So we are coming from, from the store, from the Psukim, uh, as you'll see. So the, we know that in general, the world very, very much wants to figure out what's hot, what's trending, who is the person that seems to have the pulse of that uh, um, world economy and success button, and let's follow their lead. That's the truth. That's what everybody wants to know because people want that financial uh, abundance and security, and uh, they want to have predictability in their lives and so forth. Well, the amazing thing about Yosef Hasadik is that everybody is convinced that if Yosef is on my team, my team will succeed. 
everything will work according to plan. Everything will be successful. And it's true. And the Torah testifies to that truth. Everything that Yosef did was successful. That's the Torah says specifically, whatever Yosef touched, you know, talk about a Midas touch, it, it worked, it happened. Uh, Potiphar put him in charge of his home and it was successful. It just, it just worked. And the warden put him in charge of jail and it was successful. It worked, no problems. Everybody would love to have one of those in their business, right? You hire the right employee, he makes the business run perfectly. You don't even need to pay attention. Now the business is completely successful. So this is called chen. This is called grace. The idea that a person has a charisma that inspires a confidence that my association with him is going to bring me success is chen. And that is an essential aspect of the truth. That's not only a quality, it's a truth of who Yosef HaTzadik is. It is true. Working with Yosef HaTzadik will make me successful. And therefore, everybody is naturally attracted to him. Now, this attraction comes out in different ways. There's the physical attraction, as we mentioned earlier, that some people had. There's the attraction to put him in charge that many people had, as the Torah says. There's the attraction to have, you know, him as a relationship, as Ashish Potiphar. You know, she really desired to be connected to him, right? There, there's this idea that when we, when we see a person of charm and grace, we have this sense that this is going to make my world work, succeed in spectacular fashion. Now, I decided to look up the word charisma today. And the etymology of the word charisma comes from the, one of the um, attendants to the goddess Aphrodite. And it comes, that was her name, it was Charis. And basically translated, it means divine grace. That means that there's a sense of the divine in the person that has charisma. That's the essential uh, way to understand the concept of charisma. Charisma doesn't just mean, hey, you know, I, I get a feel like I like this guy, right? Yeah, I like this guy, right? That's something. But the depth of charisma is that there's a sense of the divine, a sense of the, you want to call it supernatural. I'm suggesting that it's the sense of power that will create success. That's the way I'm choosing to understand this aspect of charisma. We get connected to somebody in a way that has charisma because we get the feeling that their beingness will bring about success in a powerful way. And as I mentioned, this is true about Yosef Atzadik. This is not just a feeling that people had and turned out to be wrong. It's actually true. Now, one very important caveat to charisma is that Slomo HaMelech tells us, Sheker HaChen Tehevel HaYofi. We say this Friday nights, that Chen, which is what we're translating as grace, and Yofi, which is beauty, which is another description that the Torah tells us about Yosef, is false. So what does King Solomon mean? He says it's false. Sheker HaChen Tehevel HaYofi. You see a beautiful thing, person, you see a, a charming, a charismatic person, it's Sheker, it's false. What does that mean? So my suggestion is that it's not that it's inherently false, 
is that the assumption that it's correct is inherently false. In other words, we see a person of beauty and charm and grace, and we automatically assume they're a good person, they're gonna bring us success. That's an automatic assumption. Why? Because when it comes to charisma and beauty, what we see is an organized universe, a universe that makes sense, a universe that will work, that, that it, will, it will be successful. That's the automatic assumption. Says Shlomo Malach, that assumption is false. It's wrong. It needs to be determined if it's true. It could be true, but it could be that the exterior presentation of that grace and beauty is a false representation of what's underneath that. So it's not that every beautiful person, every charming person is a charlatan, a faker, a bad person, right? That what you see on the outside is not on the inside, but the assumption that it is what's on the inside is what's false. But when it came to Yosef Atzadik, it was all true. Every time it was tested out, everything works for the people. And it's really what his dream says, because his dream says that the world actually centers around him. I know that's like the ultimate narcissistic statement that could possibly be made. So how do we reconcile this with a tzaddik? Hey, look, stick with me and you will be good, right? Stick with me, kid, and everything will be great. That's what Yosef is essentially saying. Well, that shouldn't be true. That seems unbelievably egoistic and arrogant. And the answer is a very simple point that is the exact, the exact distinction between Yosef and the Egyptians. Because Yosef says, stick with me, and everything will be awesome, and you're gonna be in charge. But the typical authoritarian says, stick with me, I'm in charge, and I'll make it good for you. It's such a nuanced difference, but it's the difference of everything. One is actually divine, and one is actually totally narcissistic and egocentric, which is power. And every single time that Yosef is in a position of power, someone else is in charge, every single time. He's underneath the wording. He's underneath the husband of, of the white, right? Uh, he's underneath Potiphar. He's underneath Pyro. He puts someone else, he empowers someone else to be in charge because the Yosef message is that being connected to the divine is what empowers you the correct way. That's being connected to the divine. And that is the message of Yosef Atzadi. And that's why he is Atzadi. Because that's what Hashem does want. What Hashem wants is for us to recognize that being connected to him does make the universe work in the proper fashion. It really does. You just need to remember that it's your connection to him, which is every other word out of Yosef's mouth. God knows the interpretations. God is showing you what's going to happen in the future. I'm just speaking whatever God tells me to speak. That's what Yosef represents. And that is beautiful. And it is charismatic. And it is divine grace because it is connected to Hashem. But don't think for a minute that that's a given, says Shlomo Melch. Very often, it's just a hook for the person to become in charge and to use you, which is exactly the character difference of the Egyptians who the rabbis explain in the book of Tehillim several times. They are called the arrogant people. The scandal that happened was not the scandal of immorality, in my humble opinion, that was commonplace in Egypt. 
it was the assumption that if Yosef takes the wife of Potiphar, he will take over the house of Potiphar. And that's what Yosef says to Potiphar's wife. He put me in charge of everything except for you because you're his wife. If he takes his wife, then he really took everything. And the master has nothing left. And that's what the people of Egypt are most concerned with, somebody else taking away their control, somebody else taking away their power. What does Pyro say about the Jews, those Jews that are becoming so multitudinous in Egypt? They're going to drive us out from our own land. They're going to take over. Anti-Semitism at its best. That's what the Jews are doing. And the problem is that the Jews are doing that unless they're actually connected to the divine. That's the truth, I'm sorry to say. Madoff, yeah, that's a great storyline, still exists today. And this is what everybody never forgets about the Jews. It doesn't matter if it's nine years later. And in that sense, I agree with you, Dr. Horowitz. It is about the cultural divide, but it's about the Jewish cultural divide that the Jews are taking over again. And that's what Egypt is absolutely on Spilka's about. Who is this guy? He was a slave. He goes into a regal, important home. An officer, Taparo, the Sar HaTabachim, Potiphar himself is an important officer of Paro. He might even be the chief executioner. It depends on how you understand his role. This is just the beginning of Yosef now taking over. You know, everybody is bamboozled by this guy. Look what he did. He was this close to taking over and getting rid of, you know, uh, the husband, you know, of, the, of that household. That's, that's what they're saying. And that's what she wanted everybody to say. So I'm suggesting it's much less about the scandal of immorality and much more about the scandal of the power grab. But of course, Yosef gets to jail and the warden is enamored with him and he never betrays his trust. There's never an issue. And the warden is happy and all the prisoners are happy. Everybody's happy because Yosef doesn't mind not being in charge and doing all the work. That's what he does. So the reason I suggest that Yosef is in jail all this time is so that the entire Egypt can learn to trust Yosef. That's why. Yeah, it's like you got to overcome the scandal with the, uh, with the wife of Potiphar. You have to prove that you know, you're trustworthy to the warden. And the scandal, by the way, I, I, I think the reason that the scandal of the butler and the baker is appealing is because on some level, what they're really saying about the, what Pyro suspecting about the butler and the baker is that they have designs on Pyro's throne, right? They're mistreating him. They're denigrating him as the king. They don't really respect him. There must be something going on. There's a coup brewing, which as we know, any, right? any story about any royal family, that's always in the mix, right? There's a coup, there's a coup. It's about to happen. This guy is doing this, that's a coup, right? And so what Yosef does is actually correctly predict that uh, the baker is untrustworthy and the butler is trustworthy. And it would make perfect sense for the butler to remember Yosef the Pharaoh. Perfect sense because Yosef is trustworthy. And Unfortunately, what happens is because of the butler's own arrogance and the fact that, I, don't, I just don't want to go, we mentioned this last year, but basically Yosef um, 
doesn't properly measure the danger in asking the butler for help because the butler himself is going to take uh, take credit for Yosef, etc. At the end of the day, he needs to be in jail another two years so that everybody gets one message about Yosef Atzadik. That what happens with Yosef Atzadik is success, but it's truly from Hashem, which is why when Paro finally meets up with Yosef and you know, Yosef gives him these terrific interpretations. And then what happens is, uh, you know, the Hash- Paro says, after Hashem has informed you, after Elohim has told you all these things, there's nobody wiser and more understanding than you. Paro's already primed based on the Yosef history to recognize that Yosef is not a power grabber. It's no problem to put him in charge of everything and everything will work because it will truly be connected to the divine. And this is a theme that continues to repeat throughout Yosef's 80 successful years of reign. 80, 8-0. Yosef tells everybody to get circumcised. They go to power and they say, you know, Yosef's telling us to get circumcised. And power says, yeah, okay, so he saved you in the famine. So yeah, go get circumcised, no problem. That'll work out. Can you imagine that today? Right, right, and it works out. Everybody's happy for 80 years. So the fact that Yosef is able to pull this off and the uniqueness that the Torah is teaching us that is very much in the sentences is that the truth of the organized universe that does come through Yosef is the fact that anybody who is in Yosef's orbit is actually getting connected to the divine. That is what's happening, which is the reason that he needs to be the ones, the one in charge of his brothers as well. But more on that as we move into the later parshias. So in summation, I'm suggesting that the scandal that everybody remembers is the scandal of Yosef trying to take over because it's very dangerous when you have a charismatic person. As we know, it's very dangerous that charismatic people can take things over for their sake, to their purposes. I don't really feel like mentioning a laundry list of names of either past or future leaders um, or business owners of major corporations and you know recent scandals of cryptocurrency and you name it. The bottom line is that charisma is a dangerous, dangerous strength. And so the bottom you know line for us, therefore, is that we as Jews have to be 100% truly connected to the idea that the gifts that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us is to help other people access their own greatness, access their own, you know, fiefdoms or kingdoms, or we're happy to empower those things. We're not looking for power. We're not looking for, you know, our selfish needs. What we want is for people to recognize is that a universe, the universe that works is the universe that's actually connected to Hashem in the real way. And in conclusion, uh, Hanukkah is very much about this idea as well, but the Hashmonaim really fight back against the Greeks is that the problem with Greek prowess, Greek intellectual pursuit, is that they completely emasculate the God concept from the equation. They cut it out. There is no God concept for real. And that's what the Hashmonaim stand for, is that there absolutely is a God. We'll talk more about it the other time. Uh, next week, hopefully, uh, 
and and get more into that. But I just wanted to mention that because we're coming into Hanukkah. Yosef actually has special connections to Hanukkah. The Gemara talks about Yosef when it talks about the discussion of Hanukkah and the idea of chen is also uh, related to the word Hanukkah as well. And ultimately, it's really about what's beautiful in the world, what works in the world is being connected to the divine. Questions or comments? Oh yeah, Please. oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I, it comes out what you're doing. You did, I mean, it's really fantastic, but it came out that you're literally expand, expanding, you're really explaining finally what the Goan really meant. The Goan says, so with when she has Yerushalayim, so then she's mishal on the chain, and he, of course, is not explaining the going. You're basically explaining, expanding, explaining, and giving tremendous explanations what the going was alluding to. Well, not everybody is familiar with the going, and I don't. Uh, yeah, so you want to you want to say? Or well, the going just says that he says shekra chayin vehevel yofi isha yerushalayim he tisal. So it says that it says that chain is false and 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 beauty is nothingness. A woman is praiseworthy if she fears Hashem. So the Gon says that if she fears Hashem, then her chain and yofi become real. Okay, and so Got it. you're explaining that. Why is that true? And you're explaining why. Yes. So now yeah. the, the take go one step further though comes out you're coming out explaining chain so you're going all the way back from Noah all the way yeah. through to Moshe Chaim Bein in 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 when when Klali Shmuel left this, yeah you would be explaining that way the same thing you're correct yeah okay. excellent um, Steve, I'm going to get to your question in a moment. Okay, welcome. I'm, I would love to meet you, but we're going to go to Joseph for a uh, a uh, for first, okay? Because he was up yeah. first. Uh, thank you, Rabbi. Wonderful, eye-opening. Sure. Um, and just what if you could cl clarify something for me? Because from the previous sure, I understood that narcissistic tendency. That's one of the reasons the brothers maybe didn't like him so much. Uh, so how was the transformation of him from use to connection to, to Hashem? How was the transformation occur? How did uh, transformation occur? That's a great question and an excellent point. And the answer, you're totally correct. He did struggle with uh, being, um, with erring, I should say, when he became powerful were recognized by his father or powerful even Potiphar's house. The rabbis tell us is that that's when he would start preening or fixing his hair, etc. because it's a tremendous temptation when a person has power to think it really is about them. And his ultimate success and transformation is when he doesn't use those natural gifts for instant gratification with the wife of Potiphar. And that's his ultimate success and triumph because it's an unbelievable temptation. He's on his own. Uh, he's becoming Egyptianized by everything that's happening and his, his environment. And in that moment, when he self-identifies as belonging to the house of Yaakov and the divine mission of the Jewish people, that's when he really finally internalizes for the permanent future that everything is not, everything at his fingertips, everything that's in his grasp is only to connect other people to God 
and to help them be successful and not for his own pleasure. And the way I always like to think of it, I cannot imagine that Yosef wanted to go to work every day as the viceroy of Egypt. I cannot imagine that that's something that he wanted, but he did it faithfully for 80 years. Right? We don't like to go to the office, forget about the, you know, have to deal with everybody's problems in a country that's not ours um, and make everyone else in that country successful while we're, you know, kind of away from our homeland. And he does that for 80 years. Just unbelievable. But that's that's exactly the question. So the fact that he went to jail for so long, that's actually the trigger for his transformation, if I put it correctly. So I, I really think that the main transformation happens when he succeeds with the wife of Potiphar. I would say it continues in the jail, uh, but I think really what happened in the jail was for the benefit of the rest of the Egyptians to learn his trustworthiness. Thank okay, you. so to um, Shalom Stein, a pleasure. Shalom Stein and then to Dr. Finkelstein because they both finished with Stein. Uh, it be like a rookie question. It's obvious to others, but uh, the, you mentioned, Rabbi mentioned that they circumcised all the Egyptians. I didn't even know that. It was probably a Pusuk that I didn't care for. No, no, it's not a Pusuk. It's, not a Pusuk. It's, it's the rabbi's interpretation of uh, when Yosef moves everybody around at the end of Parshas Vayigash in order to get uh, his brothers comfortable and acclimated, um, he, he, he required that of the Egyptians. Okay. Um, so you talked about people gain trust in Yosef over time, um, that he wasn't going to, you know, do something selfish, I guess. So wouldn't that also need trust to actually circumcise themselves? Because they must have heard the story of the Shechem, uh, that, that all the Shechemites were. Great question. Far from a rookie question. That's an awesome question. Yes, you're right. They must have heard the, the Shechem uh, story. I mean, I, I would presume that too. I, I shouldn't say they must have. I would presume that too. Uh, but I do think that's exactly the point. Yosef was fully, fully vested and trusted by that point. And even though the populace had a problem with it, power is like, what are you talking about? He just saved us from this famine? Yeah, go. Go. Oh. That's a great point. Yeah. Well, Shalom Aleichem, by the way. It's nice to meet you. Welcome. Okay, yeah, I recommend Morty Ettingoff. Thank you. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Welcome. Uh, yes, Dr. Finkelstein. So I want to, can I share a screen? Yeah, please. You have to oh, allow me to do it. Give me one second. Uh, hang on. We're going we're gonna to share a screen. Okay. Ready. Okay, great. So I'll show you guys some data. And um, what's really interesting what the rabbi is saying is that there's this relationship between distrusting the powerful Jew and institutional distrust, right? That that becomes a kind of overarching metaphor for globalism. And the idea that someone's here to undermine our nation and act as an imposter, right? I want to show you guys how that bears out statistically. So this is this is a study of, of anti-Semitic conspiracies that pertain to that specific myth of a powerful interloper who's taking over our country. Now, to be fair, anti-Zionist myths are even more potent than this, but I want to show you guys what this is. These are peaks in terms like Soros, globalist. Etc. And look what happens. The, the biggest peak is, is it starts off with COVID-19 arriving in the United States. 
and all the public health distrust. This is when George Floyd dies and the idea that the, that the police are actually under the, you know, uh, under the control of Jews who are trying to murder all of us and that they're actually getting, they're, they're also in control of black people and getting them to take over. This is conspiracy theory. And this is January the 6th, right? So what's crazy wow. about this is that these peaks cause things in the real world. They're actually indicators of vigilante activity, of protests, and of, uh, even of attacks. So you can see that here, that the actual social media conspiracy precedes the real world events and forecasts it, but not the other way around. So what we're learning is that the conspiracies that cause institutional distrust, so the institution begins withering from within, are centered around the role of the Jew as an honest character. That those two things are fundamentally related and that's being borne out in reality. So I just wanted to share that. Wow. Thank you. That's that's uh, wow. Wait till you guys see the anti Zionism stuff. That's what is there a way to get that uh, chart from you, Joel? It, it, it what how much does it cost, Dr. Finkelstein? <laughs> I said, wait, I said, I, I, I didn't hear the joke, but my son is singing, he's gonna say, but um, Henry is asking if there's a way to get that chart a graph from you. We're going to be publishing it in the next couple of months, but wait till you guys see what the anti-Zionism does. That's where this becomes like a really nasty joke. People say these things are different. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think that, I think that the, 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 the anti-Zionism stuff is even more haunting than what I just showed you. Wow. But it's a, it's a great, uh, it's a great, you know, demonstration of this, this idea of the scandal from our, our power show. Yeah. Unbelievable. Thank you our so much. Our tour is amazing. It's unbelievable. It's like yeah. the best forecaster there is. It's unbelievable. Steve, I have a quick uh, yes. comment. Um, so I, I'm going back to Joseph's very interesting comment about narcissistic traits in, in Yosef. And, and, you know, we saw, you know, that he took a lot of attention to his appearance. But also, one of the things about narcissism is that they're not aware. They're not self-aware. They're not aware of their impact. And the way he dealt with his brothers certainly suggests that, that there was no awareness of, of the impact that he had um, in terms of alienating them. Um, and, and I'm wondering if that, that may have translated in terms of a lack of awareness of impact on Potiphar's wife, that maybe he may have come across in a way that he wasn't aware that may have sent messages that were not, um, that were misinterpreted by, by her. Oh, so, so yeah, I mean, it's either that or, or I mean, meaning it could be that this is what you're saying is what Rashi means, or it's just a little bit different, but definitely related because Rashi again says that as he succeeded in Potiphar's house, he was again taking care of his appearance. So Hashem said, oh, oh, your father's languishing and more <coughs> for you and you're kind of feeling your oats. I'm going to send the bear to attack you. And the bear is Potiphar's wife. So either what you're saying is like a, a real world of expl explanation of, of the cause and effect, right? He's not really aware of what his attention to his own, you know, self uh, appearance is doing. Um, or it's like, because he is, again, edging towards a narcissistic tendency, Hashem is really testing him. Either way. I, I have one more comment also. There's a difference. So it's right on point. Yeah. Yeah, there's a difference diagnostically between benevolent narcissism and malevolent narcissism. Okay. They're, they're, they're quantitatively and qualitatively very different 
in the sense that um, malevolent narcissists tend to be a little sociopathic. They're, they're, um, their intentions are never really anything but self-serving and they can be um, very destructive, whereas benevolent narcissists mean well. They don't mean any harm. They don't mean to damage or destroy. They just, they're not, they're clueless. And, and I think that, that Yosef clearly was, was not malevolent. There was nothing malevolent right. about him. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you although, can be although, although, although the brothers. They may, play, they may perceive that he was malevolent. Yeah. Yeah. But that was the perception. That doesn't yes. mean that, that, it, that he was actually had any malevolent intention. I don't think there's yeah. any. You know, he was just, you know, like when the fact that he could interpret those dreams and not understand yeah, how alienating yeah. that would be to them shows yeah. that he was not yeah, aware. Just remember that that's preceded with him speaking evil reports about them. But again, we think his intentions were good. They're in, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Really a pleasure. Dr. Does that, uh, Akiva, does that answer what you were saying before when Joseph, in your comment to Joseph, that he was the viceroy for 80 years? Does that at all answer why he was actually down in, in, in the, uh, at, the, at, the, at the forefront of giving out, doling out the uh, tfu itself? Or that's not really answering that question? So was, your question is, yeah. The question asked, like, what, what incarnation is the viceroy of, of, of Egypt yeah. doing? Now, the way I understood it was he, he, had a, he always understood that from the fact that there was the famine, that means his, eventually his family is going to come down and therefore he was yeah. stationed there to notice it. But a way that you're saying it is that he could have even like tried to micromanage stuff because he was that responsible. Was he was micromanaging yeah. in a positive way. Yeah, I think I th I'm, me personally, I'm going with B. Um, and not only that, I think it's what everybody wanted him to do because the Egyptians don't trust each other. <laughs> really? I really think so. <laughs> Which makes sense. They shouldn't. Uh, Aaron Yehuda, you ha you you've had you've been on for a while on with your hand up. Well, it's 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 very interesting that that Joel brought up something that came came to mind uh, about the years that Yosef was in prison. And it's very interesting today, there's still discussion about the JFK murder and the lack of release of files and lack of disclosure and all the... Con so I think that what happens is when conspiracy, conspiracy theories are circulated, whether true or false, they stick in the mind of the population. And I wonder to what extent the fact that this, you know, later on, Paro says, let's be wise about the Jews, let's outsmart them because they're dangerous. So there were two strategies. The first one was maybe to outsmart this potential threat. This is way back in, 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 in discrediting Yosef and showing that he was dangerous. When that didn't work, by putting him in charge, it was a way of co-opting that credibility because the conspiracy theory against him didn't work. So in order to regain credibility, you had to co-opt him and, and, and use him, so to speak, to further the uh, the needs of the ru ruling uh, ruling authority, so, so which what didn't work? What are you saying didn't work? I, I'd say that there was probably a conscious desire to, so to speak, to boost the stories and the negative perceptions of Yosef for political reasons or in anticipation of a threat. 
and that when those attempts failed and they weren't credible and, 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 and the conspiracy theory, so to speak, backfired because people didn't necessarily believe this to be true based on what <laughs> you said was Joseph's conduct in prison right, right, right. and the way he behaved, eventually, yeah, as much as they tried to push the story, it was dissipating. And right. then the pressure was on. God willing, we should see this develop for us as well in the future. Give us hope. Amen. That 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 the 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 falsehoods get exposed, the conspiracy theory falsehoods get exposed, and the unease that people have around the topic will be relieved by by, by the truth coming out. Amen. Hopefully, that can happen somehow. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll let Doctor Finkelstein figure that out. <laughs> Any anyone else? Okay, we're looking for a solution within the next uh, three to ten days. Uh, uh, I thought it was three to ten minutes. Okay. So, uh, so you'll be getting a nasty email if it's not fixed in three to ten days. <laughs> You're generous with uh, with that. But anybody else? Solution to what? Else? Solution oh, right. to what? What's that? Solution to what? A solution to yeah to the hate. <laughs> well, Norman goes from right. It's very interesting. Why did anti-Semitism come? Is when the Jewish people feel that they can mix with the Goyim. It's a very deep talking. Means say Jews were always had to be a certain segregation, knowing we have to be friendly to our neighbor, but we're not part of the neighbor. And when people feel that they have to be part of the parties and everything else, somehow that's when anti-Semitism comes. And that's not my. It's not my saying this. You probably, I will show you where it's coming from, but somehow that's what happened. Where did Eden live in Mitzrayim in Goshen? So they were separated. You know, he told he told them we, we do we do sheep. We we were, we have to be we have to be friendly. We have to be nice. So what what I remember being learned and everything else when we're trying to assimilate, be part of it, and everything else. That's when Shem says, "Oh, I'm going to put a stop to that." That's what I remember.